Okay, welcome everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so, so fortunate today. I've got Angela Chung with me from Hong Kong. Uh, again, I'm here in Oslo. She's in Hong Kong and we're joining each other through the magic of the internet. Um, Angela, thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to actually tell a tiny story myself before normally I just jump straight into having the person uh, introduce themselves. So uh, I'm going to tell a tiny story here. I met Angela in Hong Kong when she came to our office to present. Uh, she's great friends with Ming Chen, who uh, I'm going to name drop because then she has to listen to this episode. <laughs> Good story. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Ming is uh, the person who actually hired me into my previous company and uh, an amazing woman um, and great friends with Angela. And Angela came in and talked to us and just totally, totally blew me away. It was a lunchtime talk uh, in the office and uh, she she just totally blew me away with stories around what she'd managed to achieve and how she'd helped people achieve uh, some, some incredible dreams themselves, especially related to things like publishing a book and, and which we're going to get into. But also Angela's worked in media a lot and has been a media executive in, in Disney and in Fremantle. She's worked with a ton of very famous people. Uh, I, I'll let you do the name dropping, Angela. <laughs> uh, but she's also um, a, a public speaker and just a generally awesome human. So Aww, with you, all Nick. of that said, Angela, I'm going to pass over to you just to introduce yourself a little bit about where you're at in life uh, and, and uh, how things are going. Well, thanks, Nick. Um, it was very good to meet you on that lunchtime learning because I remember I asked a question and normally when you're talking to a crowd in Asia, they can be quite quiet. So I think I asked a question and you put your hand up and answered straight away. And in a way, I expected it to be a rhetorical question or expected crickets because no one and I was expecting to answer the question myself, but you, you just went straight in there. So I thought that was really great. And you actually followed up afterwards and you did all the things that I'd recommended doing, which is such a rare thing. And it's so life affirming when someone does that. So thank you. So yeah, I'm Angela. I'm uh, what they would call in Hong Kong, a BBC, a British born Chinese. Um, and I wear a couple of hats. So by day, I'm managing director at APB. We're a video agency. We help multinational companies make great video content. And then by night, I like to learn stuff and then share what I've learned with people. So I like to learn new things, anything from presentation skills, which is something I had to overcome from being very nervous as a kid, to digital marketing, to how to ace it at a panel discussion, to how to write a book and publish it, all kinds of things. I love learning new things and then telling people how to do it. So that's why I do part-time. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that's where I really uh, connected because you said – please contact me. I mean, one of your pieces of advice was contact people in the know and contact people to, to learn more. And so I, I, I was actually looking back, my first email to you is like, well, you said it. <laughs> yeah, it was. That's the, that was literally the subject line. Well, you said yeah. contact me, so I'm contacting you. That was the subject line. Yeah, so I took it and, and I, I, I took it on. And, uh, and I'm very glad I did because you actually helped inspire me to write a, a children's book with my wife. And uh, we haven't published it yet, but we've written it and we've written a couple, actually. So uh, those are on the horizon to go out there. And um, I have I also have the YouTube channel, which I started and and you gave me some great advice on and, and continue to give me great advice. on. so thank you so much for that. Well, that means everything. But I want to. This is all about you. This is all about uh, your thoughts on things. And in fact, uh, one of the things I'm going to start by saying is 
you're so organized and disciplined in your structure that when I write out to the guests of this podcast, I always write an email just sort of detailing, frameworking. This is how I see it going. Very free flow. Happy to have a conversation. Angela, I have to tell you, you're the only person who's written back to me with basically... Okay, Nick, so here's how you could, you could, if you want to, run the, the podcast. And you've presented me with a list of questions to ask you. And you presented me with some talking points and some facts about yourself, which is amazingly useful. But that in itself tells me so much about you. So what I want to do is ask you the first question, which is, where does that come from in Angela? Where does that nature, that, that sort of structure come from with you? Um, well, it's funny because... My family would tell you I'm one of the most disorganized people. And certainly within the family dynamic, I'm known as the person who loses things, who has the most potential to turn up without my passport at an airport, um, always gets lost. So I think a lot of it's from pure insecurity and having to bill it. I have to add 15 minutes to everything that I do because I have to bill in time for losing, potentially losing things or getting lost. So I have a terrible sense of direction. So it's funny that. So I think I've had to overcome my dis my natural tendency to disor to be disorganized um, by being as organized and creating systems and things like that. I need systems because otherwise I wouldn't get anything done. Um, there's also underneath, probably underpinning it all, is a deep sense of insecurity. So the reason why I want to be as prepped as possible is because I want you to like me. I want you to feel that I was a guess that didn't cause you any trouble, that I made things as easy for you as possible. So I think a lot of it comes through insecurity as well. And I was talking to someone, a friend of mine about imposter syndrome, and I still suffer from imposter syndrome even now. And he said, you know, imposter syndrome could be one of the greatest motivators and once one of the greatest drivers because you're always trying to overcompensate. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I, I I also have suffered from imposter syndrome myself. I went to a business school, which uh, which was one of the is one of the best business schools in the world. And I every day I got in there and I was like, how am I here? Like, how do I deserve to be here? Everybody was so smart, and I did and had got incredible results. And I, you know had not got incredible results at university and I got a 2-2 in my degree for example and everyone and I was went to Nottingham University which is a great uni but um I was there was only two Brits in the entire group uh out of I think 17 18 that hadn't gone to Oxford or Cambridge right. so it was like I was total imposter syndrome so I completely uh, understand that but but do you think it is uh, your insecurity is coming from uh, a place of just wanting to help or is it wanting to is it is it because I feel like there's more more in your way you want to help and present present yourself would you say that is there more to that or is it is it literally just insecurity you want people to like you um i mean i, I don't know i don't know exactly where all the insecurity comes from but i think some of it's from being an immigrant in a small town so you're a small person in a small town and there's all that goes with that being a nobody in a nobody town um and really being the underdog i literally you know my dad had, had all the all the chinese immigrant cliches he had a takeaway and he had a restaurant and we were tasked to work at the bar when we were really underage when we were like 12 years old and then we had to hide anytime any health and safety inspector came along and we had to pretend we were doing our homework so there's all of that so there's all of that that probably caused a lot of insecurity um 
And then probably, you know, a bit of a bossy Chinese mom, that whole tiger mom bit as well causes a lot of that. Um, I think so, my desire to help people, it may be because I'm the middle child and that's what we do, but um, my desire to help people is because I've had so many people help me along the way. And I really didn't have any standout talent, uh, personality, work ethic, anything. Uh, but I've always been able to have these wonderful mentors who've helped me and bosses, um, teachers, you name it, who have spent time, have been really patient in giving me the guidance that I truly needed. So I just feel it's just the right thing to do to give back. And if, you know, it's one conversation with a teacher has changed my life before in the past. And if I could do that for someone else, it'd be the best thing. Yeah, that's so nice to hear. I think we've touched on it quite a few times in the in the previous podcast as well about the need for feedback and, and getting those moments with people who, who can both inspire but also help you to move forward. And I agree. Like, I think paying that forward in itself is so valuable. I mean, uh, I, I, I totally see that. Let's let's talk a bit about your immigrant growing up in a, in a small town, though, because uh, just to give more context, you, you were brought up in the UK, right? And I'll let you tell the story so that you can talk about your brothers and sisters and your, your family. Yeah, I grew up in Grantham, Lincolnshire. Um, the only notable thing I think about Grantham, there's two notable things. One, it's the town that Margaret Thatcher was born in. And I went to the same secondary school as Margaret Thatcher. And then the second thing, it was... That's that's, that's of the of the moment, actually, because the crown just yeah. came out, right? All about, yeah, no, that's I, I right. saw her on my wife's iPad last yeah. night. <laughs> so if you've heard of Grantham, sorry, sorry. you may have heard of the fact that Margaret Thatcher was born there. And I think the other notable thing, it was once voted the most boring town in England. So I think that kind of tells you all you need to know about grandma. I mean, I had a really happy it childhood. Had a great takeaway, had a great takeaway restaurant, right? It had the best, <laughs> the best takeaway restaurant. So what was it like growing up there then? I loved it. It was a small town. I didn't know anything else, but I really enjoyed it. I was very close to my family. We were um, a very insular, you know, you live in this little Chinese immigrant bubble within this little little small town bubble. And I loved it. It was, um, it's very beautiful Lincolnshire, actually. Um, very flat farmland. And a few of my friends had farms and they had cool gadgets. Like they had these quad bike type of things. And then we used to go sledging down these amazing mountains and we used to chase cows in fields. So it was very much swallows and Amazons in many, many ways. And then on top of that, we had the, um, the working at the restaurant, which, you know, brought about lots of stories and, you know, the, the drunks on a Saturday night and all the adventures. And just, we worked really late, you know, we'd, you'd work till midnight, 1am. And then this whole night um, world takes place, right? Where all the Chinese people, they either go to the casino and go gambling or they play mahjong, they bring people back. So it was a very unique and brilliant upbringing, really, with lots of aspects to it. You strike me as someone who is particularly interested in people. I think I think that's one of the reasons why I think you've been as successful as you have. And and I, by the way, congratulations! I heard that you've been you've been nominated one of the top fifty influencers in Hong Kong. Right? That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. But th- that that influence and that ability to connect with people, I think it's it's very clear to me. But obviously, anyone listening randomly is just going to have to believe that. But I want I wanted to ask you, kind of, do you think that's 
would you describe yourself as an extrovert? Is that where it comes from? Or is it, is there, is there an interest in people that sort of has stemmed from something or inquisitive nature? What, what, what would you like, if you're trying to reflect on yourself, what would you say that comes from and, and how that's manifest? Well, I'm definitely not an extrovert. Um, in fact, four different people have gifted me the book Quiet by Susan Cain, which I think tells you all you need to know about me and my introverts. And if you look at all my hobbies, they're all very, uh, solitary, very solitary hobbies and habits that I have. So I'm definitely not an extrovert. Um, yeah, I've always been curious about people. I wonder if that comes growing up in a restaurant, you have to very quickly evaluate people. And I used to watch my dad, who was so brilliant with, you get all sorts coming to a Chinese restaurant, right? Um, you get the lovely customers who are super regular and know everything about you. And, you know, my dad knew their names, their daughter's names, their kids' names, what they studied and everything. And he really made them feel at home instantly. He remembered every single bit about them. And then you get the difficult clients, um, the difficult drunks. You get the people who just refuse to leave at midnight and just nothing will get them out the door. You get all sorts. Um so you very quickly have to deal with people, read people. And I think I watched my, I never had to do it. I just, you know, my sister and I, we worked behind the bars. We never had to, we were never front facing. But I think watching um, my dad, watching the head waiter, Raymond do it, all that kind of stuff, you saw how they dealt with people and read people very quickly. So maybe there's something to do with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's probably a very uh, relevant point because seeing people behaving in a service environment like uh, how, how to de-escalate things how to take judgment of moments and stuff I'm yeah I think that's that is a it's a very interesting skill set to develop as well so your dad must have developed that over time because uh it, it doesn't come naturally so were your parents living in uh, like had they been living in the UK a long long time uh, were they born there as well um, my dad went to the UK when he was I think about 18 19 um, and then my mum came when she was 26 and they got married in England. All the kids were born in England. So we we're actually super English. And my dad was one of those immigrants who were so patriotic. We had all the mugs. We had the Queen's Jubilee mug. We had the Charles and Diana wedding mug. We had the Union Jack everywhere. My dad had a deer stalker, a uh, deer hunter, deer stalker, you know, that hat that Sherlock Holmes wears because he thinks all English people wear that. So, you know, we were so patriotic. My dad loved England, loved the Queen, stood up for the Queen's speech, everything. So, yes, um, uh, they were super English. My dad thought of himself as super English. Yeah, well, that's that's great. Well, that's that's a, obviously a lovely way to integrate yourself in a, in a country as well is to really take on and, and uh, enjoy it, enjoy the, the parts, the deer stalkers that everyone <laughs> yeah, wears. Exactly. <laughs> So you mentioned about your your four hobbies. You said you have four. Your, you, I think you said four that you're v very solitary. I happen to know one for sure is traveling and, and especially Bhutan. You're in love with Bhutan, which uh, I'm actually going to put links in the description of this or somehow get the links out there to people to go and see Angela's traveling videos of Bhutan. Oh, wow. But uh, but. But uh, I want to hear more about that. So uh, please talk to me about Bhutan as well and, and, and your hobbies, your, your four hobbies. You um, well, my hobbies, they're not just all solitary, but they all involve the same pose. So I like video editing. I like SEO, search engine optimization and digital marketing. Um, and I like playing the piano. Is that three or four? So they're all um, 
extremely bad for your lower back. So I've had L4, L5, S1, L5, S1 problems since I was about 19. Um, yes. And then, and you can get RSI very quickly as well, having all these same hobbies. So yes, all my hobbies are literally at a keyboard of some uh, shape and form. Um, and I've always enjoyed doing that. Um, Bhutan is a place I went to, to teach. So someone asked me to give a workshop there. And actually on the phone, I hadn't heard it correctly. So I heard them say it was either Bintan, uh, Bhutan, or what else did I think they'd said? And there were three places I'd never been to. And just because I'd never been to, I said, yes, I want to go there. I'd love to go there. And then it ended up subsequently, I found out it was Bhutan. I didn't know anything about it, I have to say, anything about Bhutan. I just sort of went sort of blind without getting much information because I was really busy at the time. Um, and it turned out it's one of the truly one of the most magical places I've ever been to, completely different from anywhere else that I've traveled to. Um, the most wonderful, wonderful people. Um, it feels like another world. It feels like Shangri-La. It feels like a place who's finding itself and its identity and uh, asking the right questions and figuring things out. And it feels like you're on the brink of uh, a new culture and a new place. Um, but it's wonderful. For, ex for example, people's attitude to death there and dying is so different from a Western attitude. There's no fear. It's openly talked about. Um, uh, it's, it's part of life, something that happens. Um, and that's, yeah, and, and there's, there's a real sense of community as well. Truly a sense of community. I know we talk about community all the time, but there, there truly is. You really get this feeling of community um, through everything you do. Mm and humility and just wonderful. It's really spiritual. So how did you pick up on that then? Was it instantaneous when you got there, you just started to notice how people talk differently or was it through a guide or like, how did you, how did you learn so much? From everything, every interaction that we had from the, the, the cabin crew on the flight to the driver who picked us up to the guy in the hotel, um, Really curious people asked a lot of questions. Um, very happy to talk about uh, openly and honestly about things. Um, really, really interested in different cultures and truly, truly genuinely interested in different cultures. And so, for example, some of the conversations I'd have at lunchtime on the lunch break, you know, if I'm in Hong Kong, people might ask me, oh, is that the iPhone 10 or whatever? Um, the conversation I had, I remember the first lunchtime conversation I had was, um, uh, what do you think of the UK parliamentary system? What parliamentary system do you, would you recommend for Bhutan? And then another conversation I had, how many political parties do you think Bhutan should have? And then a conversation about uh, religion in Hong Kong. And, you know, these, the, these would just be my uh, lightweight conversations over breakfast and lunchtime. These aren't even, you know, yeah. getting into anything. Um, These are just richer, deeper uh, questions. I think, well, that, that strikes to me and, and something I've noticed about the world at the moment. And I, I think I'm pretty sure I talked to you about this as well, because um, the authenticity, the importance of authenticity in now, the, the 2020 or the, 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 the modern time, because, and this is part of the reason I'm doing the podcast as well, is it's an authentic conversation that could go anywhere. And I think that's part of something that people connect to more so than constructed you know scripted narratives and and i think 
how how people are presented and how they come across is um people are becoming so hyper aware that that there's there's a lot of manipulation around and they strive for authenticity and when you what you've just described is a totally genuine authentic kind of set of people and and a, and a place i've never been to be done i'd love to go especially your videos again watch the videos people if you're listening well, i only make them for my mum uh, right yeah, but you deserve a much bigger audience because uh, they're 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 amazing. But but in terms of like that, that kind of like, I think when there's less ego involved, which is also I'm I'm putting those words into your mouth, but it seems like there's less ego involved, uh, which means there's a much bit better opportunity to be authentic, to be interested and, and genuinely interested in someone else and what their feelings are on something and and coming. Um, uh, with less judgment you know i think it's impossible for anyone oh, oh, maybe i'm maybe i'm just uh, negative but i think it's impossible for anyone to completely eliminate judgment out of their life like i think we have to have some level of judgment just to try and also benchmark our own um, beliefs but yeah what you've just described i had a i guess the only thing i can compare it to is when i went to turkey when i was much younger and i went to some places in turkey where just a much more simple life was uh, and i met these people and they were just giving me things because that was how they were they were just nice people who shared lovely they, you know that's it they lived a simple inquisitive life um and it, uh, interesting about your attitude towards death and your comment on the western side as well i think you know i i've found that fascinating too is you know how scared we are of death and and uh and scared people are of death and, and then unwilling to talk about it and of course, by the time it happens, yeah, it's the one. Everyone. It's the one thing that's guaranteed. <laughs> right? It's the one thing that's guaranteed in life, and it's we just cannot talk about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and it makes us very bad at dealing with it when it happens as well, which is uh, which is kind of. Uh, sad. I think it's very sad, uh, and I, I think we, should, we could do with learning a lot from people like yeah, Bhutanese. Bhutanese? Is that right? Bhutanese. Okay. Um, Okay, great. So I, I think what I wanted to also get into a bit more was your sort of thoughts around winning and constructing win, because you're someone who I know has really, really uh, defined pathways towards achieving dreams. Like you've you've helped people to, and you, I guess through coaching, but also through just sensible, practical uh, expertise in your field and expertise in, in things you're learning. You've helped people to achieve dreams. So what what would you say, like building block skills, you know, what, what are the building block skills that everyone should learn to, 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 to move towards achieving something? Well, I guess the first thing I'd say is really understand what to you winning or success means because it means different things to different people, right? And lots of people attribute it to money or career success, but it really most of the time probably isn't, I would say. Well, it certainly wasn't for me. Um, so, you know, I talk about, you know, we, when we met, I talked about publishing a book to me and my intern, my intern, Timmy said he really wanted to publish a book. And I said, Oh, me too, Timmy, let's work on publishing a book. And if you talk to lots of people, they say they want to publish a book. And then three weeks later, we met up again and Timmy hadn't written a word. I hadn't written a word. And it turned out that neither of us really wanted to publish a book, but we really wanted the status of being published authors. That's, and that, that's, that, was, that really struck me. I'm like, well, oh, come on, Timmy, you and I don't really want to write a book. We just want to feel good and 
you know, have social signaling by saying we're published authors. Timmy, Timmy less so than me. So it was a bit slightly. So, um, we ended, we ended up publishing a book. We ended up publishing, um, a compendium, you could say, which still sells to this day. We, we published a compendium of company values. Um, but it, it really made me realize that there's a huge difference between what we want and what we say, what we say we want and what we actually want. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that you actually want the social status of being a published author. But if you know that, then don't bother writing, get a ghostwriter or, you know, do it another way or have a book that's a series of interviews or something like that. You know, you don't necessarily have to do the hard graft to actually write if you want to be a published author. Same with a lot of people say they want to make movies. You know, I'm in the media business and people say they want to make documentary or movies. And I said, do you really? Because it's really hard work. Every aspect of making a documentary or movie is such hard work. And your chances of failure are much higher than your chances of success, especially as a very naive newbie, you know. And um, I said, you probably just want the status. <laughs> you know, maybe, not, not you probably, but, but potentially you just want the status. If so, invest in a movie, a Kickstarter movie, and ask them for an executive producer title, right? Simple as that. So... We just took a little mini pause there because poor Angela has a bit of a cough uh, and uh, she's, she was just saying how uh, she hasn't been ill for a long time. I think that's a lot for, for a lot of us. I don't know. I mean, I always react very strongly now to hearing people cough around me because uh, we're living in this very bizarre time where people are wearing masks and, uh, and, and being extremely socially distanced. Um, but anyway, so Angela, I thank, I thank you again for joining me, especially when you're not feeling 100%. But uh, it's really no problem. I'll, I'll keep clipping out. If people wonder what, what's clipped, it's the coughs. So uh, <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I also wanted to kind of uh, address then, because you said you're not an extrovert, which I kind of knew, but I wasn't sure how you'd define yourself. So I, I, was, in, I was interested to, to hear that. But then in terms of positivity and your approach to life because I think for me when we talk about winning like defining win super important but then in terms of being positive and remaining focused and seeing it through to the end like like that's definitely in you I'm going to say it for you because I can tell you be humble on that but but where does that come from? Where does that drive? Where does that that that, that uh, persistence or perseverance come from? I think you have to have a bias for action so I've always had a bias for action. Don't know where that comes from, but uh, I've always wanted to get things done. I mean, you can talk all you like, you can think all you like, but you'll never know until you actually act. I really believe in the phrase, action reveals answers. So, you know, people ask all the time, you know, shall I do this? Shall I do that? Shall I start a podcast, for example? Like you, you know, and I'll go, I don't know. Why don't you try, you know, make three episodes, see if you enjoy the process, see if you're any good at it which you probably won't be after three, but never mind. Um, and then just try, and you can always not publish. Um, uh, or should I start a YouTube channel? I don't know. Why don't you just try? You can always make, you know, make three terrible videos, and you can always not publish. Um, but make them first before you decide whether to do it or not. So I think, for me, actions have always revealed answers. And no matter what actions I've taken, no, no matter what I've, direction I've wanted to go in, and, um, you know, so it's only when you do it that you realize that, you know, you enjoy it, you don't like it, it works, it doesn't work. You have to just kind of try things. So I really believe in that. I also believe in, um, I've actually, I'm slightly delusional in that. I think I've never had big giant goals. 
or anything like that. I'm never someone who's had the, this grand vision board that's been on their fridge the whole time. And I think it's because of fear of failure, perhaps, and um, not wanting to admit to yourself that you have these big goals. So perhaps um, to get away from that, I've just reframed everything as an experiment. So, hey, I'm just going to try this. And, you know, if it works out, works out, doesn't work out. And there's no such thing as a failed experiment. So I think that's how I've managed to cope. And I've actually set low expectations. I've always set low expectations for myself. Um, and that's a way to reduce pressure. Um, and I found, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. I think for other people, having really lofty North Star goals really help, helps them. But for me to just, you know, everything I just reduce down to, well, just try, you know, just do this for your mum, if nothing else, you know, just try that or just experiment with that. Or we're just talking two weeks we're, or we're just talking one month of doing this. So I'll, I'll tend to break things down into really the smallest, smallest achievable element. And then incrementally you increase, it's compounding, it's compound interest. I think that's, it's, what that screams to me, because <laughs> I, 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 I'm a, you know, I've trained as a coach as well. And I, I see the, obviously the, uh, the benefit in setting goals and, and especially setting high goals so that, you know, you, if you set low goals, the, who was it said that Michelangelo, if you set low right. goals, you might just achieve them, you know? Uh, and then, uh, but I think, I think what you're saying though, and I, it's very interesting because I think it's, it's knowing yourself, yes. knowing what motivates yourself. And you, it, it, what I'm going to put words into your mouth again, you've kind of built a strategy around understanding how you operate and how to get the best out of yourself. I think that's 100% true because I think if I spent any time uh, thinking about, oh, I can't do this, I'm useless at that, and all the self-talk, that negative self-talk that goes around in my head, and I have a lot of it, I think, yeah, I wouldn't get anything done. So knowing your weaknesses, um, and if you can, on top of that, understanding your weaknesses, one, and trying to mitigate those by setting low expectations, by just doing things in small increments is one. But I think actually, if you can, to try and turn your weaknesses into strengths, that also helps. So the fact that um, I've had to learn everything from the ground up, and the fact that I wasn't very good at X, Y, Z, and I've had to learn it, has made me able to teach it. Because I know what it's like to be a beginner at many different things from video to search engine optimization to presentation skills to all sorts of things, you know, publishing a book, writing a publishing book. I really literally had to learn it as a complete idiot. And every part of the way, every step I've had to teach myself. So that enables me, hopefully, to be better at teaching it than someone who's naturally really good. I mean, a lot of people who are really naturally good at public speaking can't actually teach it, but it, because it's so innate to them and it just comes naturally. So yeah, I think if you can, anytime you can turn a weakness into a strength and, it, and also in, it's become years later, you know, now I get taught, you know, now I get paid to teach presentation skills after having decades of not being able to present and literally not being able to get up onto a stage. And now it's become my story. The story is, you know, all the stories of the disastrous presentations I've had when someone's had to come up on stage and hold my hand because I was shaking so much. I had another disastrous presentation where the next day everyone thought I was going to get fired when I was at Disney. And people used to come to my office. People came to my office the day after a big presentation. They said, are you still here? 
as if I, you know, and I was like, I wasn't going to get, was I going to get fired? Really? It was such a bad presentation. And those things now, all those really disastrous moments, they were moments that at the time were so scarring and so embarrassing and terrible. Now it's become stories that I can just tell at my workshops, right? And who would have guessed? So, you know, weaknesses <laughs> into strengths. If you can do that, that's well, just, I, I, you know, amazing, I think. I think that's right. And, and, and understand, like going back to that, that, that self-reflection, that ability to understand what's going on in your head and have the, 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 the um, composure really to spot those things as well when they're happening. And, and then you learn to deal with them and learn to, that your coping strategies and things around that. But I think also embracing the fail. You just said it yourself. Like you, you know, you've embraced it in the long term, maybe not in the moment. Oh, it really hurt. It hurt in the moment because it hurts to fail. <laughs> but but embracing that longer term, we've talked about that in, in in this podcast before as well. Is that it's such an important point about learning and growing. You said at the beginning, you know, you love to learn, and and you're not going to learn anything unless you learn the you know how it works, meaning how it doesn't work as well, how things are, you know how it not supposed to be to get how it's supposed to be what what is right. bad search engine optimization what is you know what is it what is the opposite of that and how does that look and you know uh, how does bad piano sound <laughs> like and what does a bad video look like so i think i think understanding that but also understanding yourself in those in those frameworks as well and i, I you you strike me as like you've mentioned a few times you know reflecting on yourself and and, and understanding what you know your 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 uh, strengths and weaknesses um what what was it then that that took you into uh production and took you into that that the, the field you're in because there's a lot of that's a very uh competitive environment and very uh i mean i i would guess there's not that many uh, you know introverts doing what you do i i don't know i mean is that is that fair or is that not fair like is it you, you is that um, why you've been successful? I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's the reason, but I think um, th- there's more introverts around than one might think. You know, so um, I remember when I was at MTV, I interviewed Slash, who was the guitarist at Guns N' Roses. This has nothing to do with your direct question. Your, your question was how did I get into TV? But I remember interviewing Slash um, when I was at MTV, just hanging out with him for a bit. Um, and he, Slash is really interesting. It turns out, you know, I had a British accent, so I was chatting with him. He goes, oh, you're from England. It turns out he spent a lot of time in England, for example. Um, he spent a lot of his early years in, in England. And I think he can switch to a really amazing British accent, if I remember rightly. And, you know, just having this conversation with him. But one thing that really struck me with this conversation with Slash was what a nerd he was. You know, you see him as this super cool axe god, right? But he was telling me about, you know, sitting in England on, in his, you know, bedroom, working on riffs for hours and hours and hours by himself. And the way he said it made me think of this complete introverted loser, who, you know, who didn't go out and just worked on his riffs, you know, for hours. And so you'd be surprised, I think, about how many so-called introverts or nerds or that there aren't any strata of society. And a lot of the successful people actually have been yeah. successful because they've spent hours and hours in a locked, darkened digital dungeon working on their craft in some way, shape or form. Well, also because they're, 
generally introverts are much more comfortable being on their own doing that and having having that space and time to reflect i i realized i heard myself say it and i hated the last question i asked you so i just want to address that because it's one of the times i've really caught myself and 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 reacted to my own question i didn't mean is that why you're successful because you're an introvert in that field i just meant what well, was one of that oh that that never that it never struck out. me nick at all <laughs> It never struck me. At it all. struck me, and I was like, "Oh God, that was an awful." No, question. it wasn't at all. I didn't. I didn't find that. I didn't. I didn't get that. But you know how I started. I love that you've met Slash, though. Oh my God, that's so good. Yeah. And... <laughs> For those that don't know, so anyone that's sort of a bit younger listening to this, my niece might listen to this. For example, Slash is probably one of the greatest guitarists in the history of the world ever. And uh, yeah, he was in a band called Guns N' Roses, which is just epic so uh it's so cool that you got to interview him yeah and i remember him being he had his guitar with him he was just constantly uh trying out riffs and just messing with his guitar the whole time during breaks and things like that you know really experimenting you could see so i guess that's another question i wanted to ask actually because you've been around some extremely successful uh successful people and 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 you mentioned like Dwayne the rock johnson for example and, and various various others but is that something you have noticed with very successful people in their craft not just actors and, and musicians and things but anyone in their craft is there any habits or traits or things that you've noticed are quite common amongst those type of people. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't spend that much time with them. It's not like me and the rock. It's not like the rock picks me up from the airport, you know, saying, Hey, he will, you know, there's no chance you'll remember who I am. I'm sure if we ever met, but um, when I, yeah, the two days that I worked with the rock, uh, what really struck me was how hard he works. So he think, I think he turned up, we did a junket, so it was in a hotel room. And I think he he turned up, I think, at 8 o'clock, and he told me he was, he'd was he been up since 5. Uh, no, I think he'd started his workout at 5, so he'd probably been up before that. So he'd worked out for about an hour. Then he had some calls and things like that. So he turned up for me at 8. He worked till 5 p.m., and then afterwards he had some uh, company dinners and things like that. And that, and then the next day, um, I, you know, had to work with him again and he'd done the same thing. And I, and he, and he was never less than a hundred percent in terms of energy focus. And one thing you don't know about junkets perhaps is how tedious they are. So you have, um, maybe 20 to 30 press coming in for four to seven minutes is the, you know, the time that press has to come in and ask a few questions and they almost always ask the same questions. Um, so I was doing Return to Witch Mountain. And they always ask, tell me about your character. I hear you did your own stunts. What was it like working with your co-stars? It's all, you know, tell me about the movie. What was great about it? And The Rock has to answer this, you know, a hundred times in four days. And he never, ever answered with less than a hundred percent enthusiasm as, and as if he had heard the question for the first time ever. So I think that's, you know, so, so for him, that's what really struck me, his work ethic and his energy. And he was just nice to everyone, the whole crew he was so good to. Um, and then I spent a week with, in London, um, on the Hobbit movie, the last of the Hobbit movies, which was five, something, something, five armies. And, you know, it was with Peter Jackson in the hotel room. And again, it's not as if I know Peter Jackson. It's not like he's my best mate and he sends me Christmas cards or anything. But he was saying how he about he was still working on the audio 
for the movie up until a few hours before it premiered in, in the Odeon in Leicester Square. And he was still making fine tuning, wasn't happy with the audio mix. And he was, and he was hands on obsessed with the audio mix right up until the end. And so it's that kind of attention to detail that really struck me. Um, and then, you know, one of my, one of my favorite uh, celebrities, as it were, to work with that I've ever worked with the Wiggles <laughs> from Australia and uh, they're fantastic. Uh, Australia, yeah. Well, you better give context just in case people... Do. I love the Wiggles. Well, you know, I didn't know of the Wiggles until my boss Wiggles. at Disney had said, oh, you've got to go down to Australia to work with this band, this children's band called the Wiggles. And I said, oh, who are the Wiggles? And he looked at me as if I was from... My, you don't know who the Wiggles are. How can you not know? I said, no, I, I've never heard of them. They're the Beatles of kids... Bands. Oh, I'm like, oh, really? And of course, <laughs> they really are. when I got down to Australia and I mentioned, <laughs> oh, I've got a meeting with the Wiggles. You've got a meeting with the Wiggles? The Wiggles? It was amazing. And my phone went off the hook with people asking me for tickets for when the Wiggles came to Hong Kong. My phone was burning with so many requests. Can you get me discounted tickets to the Wiggles and things like that? So the thing that struck me about um, in, from the Wiggles and their management and everything is truly how centered they were towards children's needs and how really genuine they were about early childhood education, about putting the children's needs first. And one thing you notice, one thing you notice other people doing when it comes to kids shows and kids entertainment is kids become the source of entertainment. You know, so you'll get parents uh, videoing their kids tasting a lemon for the first time and that, you know, when they start to wince and things like that, and it's such an entertaining thing for adults to see a kid like tasting a lemon for the first time. The people like the Wiggles, they would never use kids as entertainment. They never become fodder for entertainment. They are into entertaining kids. And that's what really struck me, the difference between the two, which I hadn't even thought about before, to be honest. But, um, everything was about the kids and the kids first parents were way secondary in the whole mix and they truly cared yeah i think that it's it, it's it's such a it, i mean they are great and and in fact there's a few sort of i guess i don't know if you call it spin-offs but there's a few subsequent uh, uh similar things out of australia as well where, where it, if anything they use the energy of the kids as a, at the positive energy that's generated by them, they use that to build on the energy of the the performances and things. But yeah, they're absolutely brilliant, and I I I mean I love working with kids as well. Um, in fact, I'm interviewing someone else about uh, working with younger kids in the next podcast. Funnily enough, so uh, <laughs> so, so probably going to be a nice segue into it. But uh, it it is absolutely fantastic going back to your point though is the the professionalism in their craft i think that's if i can pick out a sort of similarity with, the, with peter jackson and the, and the rock and that is is really taking passion in your craft and always trying to develop it and 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 step step it up and and you know never being complacent with with where you're at always trying to strive for more i mean dwayne the rock johnson is famous for having the, the hardest work yeah. in in Hollywood. Right. And I mean, I think he's, the, I think he's the highest paid or one of the highest paid actors in the world, 
probably because of that, you know, like it, earning that yeah. reputation, that's not a bad reputation to earn, you know, to be a hardworking person, but hardworking with clear results, you know, I mean, his body is one thing, but like that mindset as well, I think is, is, is. Yeah. He's, I mean, he, he really struck me as someone who had a real passion for everything. So, you know, he came from, I think, wrestling and then he moved into movies and then he moved behind the scenes and started producing movies. And he had that genuine curiosity about life and about any aspect, genuine, you know, asked a lot of questions, was really interested in Hong Kong, really interested in everything. And that, that really struck you, the passion that he had. But the other thing, I guess, is, would you want to wake up at 5 a.m. and eat just chicken breasts all day long? I mean, do you really, are you really willing to do that and live that lifestyle? Or would you rather, you know, wake up at leisurely time and eat a tub of ice cream? You know, is it, you know, like you asked, I think, the question about success and winning. Are you willing to accept the payoffs and the sacrifices? That's absolutely. You don't necessarily need yeah, that to have a great life. Absolutely great question because in fact it's a great question for this podcast as well win building because i i make that point to people i'm coaching as well if you if you want to do it you've got to be prepared to do it you've got to be prepared to do all of the steps to get there including being brave enough to actually take on the challenge being prepared to face some failures along the way and being prepared to, for the fact that it's going to be bloody hard work and it's probably going to get harder as you get nearer because other people will want to, you know, there's com competition and there's ways in which that, that goal may change or, or, you know, external factors, which might change it for you. Uh, so it's, it's, it's hard. And I, I think you're, yeah. You're doing, you know, yeah. I, I mean, one thing I've really noticed working with actors um, and presenters is the insecurities get way worse. The older you get, they don't get better. And the higher and higher you go up the ladder, as you said, you get more insecure. So yeah, you're right. It, it, yeah, the, the more successful you are, the more you feel that there's a target on your back. And that's one thing I've really noticed. And the higher the, the plinth or whatever it is to fall off, you know, when, when you're up, when you're put up on a, what is it called? A pedestal, you know, the higher, the higher. You yeah. From. And, and things that you'd normally do like auditioning, you would feel oh, I'm above auditioning. Uh, but I'm not above auditioning, but then people might think I'm above auditioning. You know, there's all this extra. Yeah. Baggage that goes with your self-talk that you didn't have when you were starting out. Yeah, it's interesting. And how do you remain grounded in that? Well, I guess it, it relates back to what I, what I think actually is probably the, the main theme of, uh, of what I, I feel I've got from this is, is understanding oneself and, and really centering, you know, cent going back to that thing you said about the people in Bhutan and, and how centered they are. And I think that's it's such a beautiful way to to try to live your life as well and and funnily enough we it seems i've talked about wind building the the podcast is about wind building i think i haven't had a, a single one yet and i'm about to do it now where we haven't mentioned meditation uh and it seems to you know there, there's this idea of grounding yourself in in and and finding that that space to to reflect or whatever and having that calm. do you meditate nick no, I don't. So this is it. So I don't. It's come up all I can't the time. get into it. I keep trying to get into it. I just, yeah. I just I'm can't get into it. I'm, I'm intending to start, uh, and I've, I've made a lot of big promises so far. I'm going to start jujitsu as well. Uh, but meditation is something I really do see value in, and I think that one thing I can say is that my running. When I go running, it's kind of a meditation for me. So it's a time where I can zone out and just drop whatever I 
I'm worried about or thinking about and just kind of run or I listen to podcasts as well quite a lot when I'm running or I listen to music but it's like it's a time for me to then you know just but uh, right. I have as you know I have two very little people in my life and um, they are not great for uh, encouraging meditation <laughs> the getting up at five in the morning to meditate for an hour is uh would probably be interrupted at some point so uh, yeah so that's uh, when that when we get through that stage i think then i'll embrace meditation properly but you yeah, never I keep did starting you, 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 i keep starting start. and it i can I can't sustain it beyond a week i think you know i've had the calm app headspace app yeah. um YouTube guided meditation, all of them. And I, yeah. Interesting though, that you keep trying at, on it. So there's obviously something you see as valuable there, but it's just the all the studies finding, finding yeah. the one that works for you, I guess it's finding what, what, what is it? What, and what is it you're, I guess, asking the question, what is it you're craving? What is it you want out of it? And can you get that another way? Is there, you know, is there another form of, of doing that? Um, at the moment for me, it's running, but, uh, I, I know that I could do better and I, I, uh, yeah, I hope, I think yoga is a good space as well to, to do it. I think I, you know, yoga yeah, I do yoga. I do it. yoga twice a week. Yeah. That's and there's a meditative similar. path to that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I really value and it's really good, but I have a, uh, a, a yogi there. So it kind of forces you to do it. Yeah. If I'm doing it by myself, I think it's much harder. Well, maybe you just need a bit of guided meditation first, and then once you've found your grounding, you can or find your grounding or whatever, found your way. <laughs> <laughs> Angela, I'm going to wrap this up now. Uh, I want to say thank you so much again. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, you mentioned that uh, we, we, we record it on video but uh, and have that for later, but unfortunately the video has bombed out on me anyway uh, along the way so uh how do so, you know no, that we, we can still see each other but the, this tool we're using doesn't record video so um but f so unfortunately you'll not get to see angela whether she wants you to be seen or, wants to be seen or not uh but uh just for those of you still listening there are all the others so far on my youtube channel if you want to watch the the podcast instead i know one or two people have said they prefer to watch which uh, surprised me so but uh, they're, they're there uh however angela it's just your beautiful voice I'm very happy though because you've got a my nice coughing, microphone. sniffly, <laughs> deeper you've voice. Got a, you've got the best microphone that we've had so far, so it, hopefully the audio has been pretty good for everyone. Um, but thank you so much, and uh, I really wish you all the best. And I let's stay in touch and uh, and, and keep inspiring people, keep helping people, and uh, keep putting that wonderful Angela energy out in the world. Thanks, Nick. It's been a real pleasure. All right, cool. Well, I'm gonna press.